Welcome to The Kindness Project, the podcast designed to share stories of kindness and share how kindness can make positive change in our world, one small act at a time. This time on The Kindness Project, Vanna Utu, Dinosaurs, and we have part one of our interview with Vaz Sarani from Dale Bats Panic. Welcome to The Kindness Project. Um, hello, Soprano. I'm joined by two ladies who uh, think they're Sopranos. It's Sophie Dooms and Lola Dooms. Hi, I'm joined by a man who seems fascinated with my new book. Your book, your book The Teenage Guide to Life, is pretty, is pretty amazing. I mean, it's not called The Teenage Guide to Life. It's called Rookie Yearbook One, which, I don't know, I think Mum picked up for 50p at a, a, a at charity At Tesco's. At the Tesco's. Okay. I like. Fair enough. So, um, if you hear some noise in the background, dear listeners, it isn't construction work. We're not having the house redeveloped. It's just my wife in the kitchen um, making, making far more noise than probably has ever needed. I mean, literally, <laughs> we've started this recording about 12 million times, haven't we? Yeah. Um, That's an overestimation. Okay. I'd, I'd say about nine about or nine ten. Times, about nine but we're going to get there on this one. So... Ladies and gentlemen, can I read you a little email we've had from our esteemed editor, um, Mr. Russell Dames. He's said, hi, Chris and Charlotte, congratulations on reaching a massive... Oh, and Sophie, yeah, because we mainly host the podcast Mm. and didn't put you on there. Should I tell him off? Yeah. Tell him off then. Oh, Russell, put me on your emails! (laughs) Oh, Russell, put me on your emails. That's your next introduction, so it is. Um, Oi, Russ. Oi, Russ, put me on your emails. Saw your emails out, mate. Um, congratulations on reaching a massive 18,000 list. Uh, who in the world is listening? 18,000 people are listening to this where, where in the world are they listening to our podcast? Well, we have got people mainly in the UK and quite a lot in, in America, but we've got some other countries. Lebanon. Lebanon, Iran, Vanuatu, Vanuatu, and Guam. Guam. Is it Guam or Guam? Guam. You said Guam, Guam last time, and I corrected oh, you. It's it's Guam, um, and also the Republic of Korea. I think Kim Jong Un is the guy who's uh, watching, uh, listening to it in the Republic. Yeah, of Korea. when he have, when he has bad days, he likes to listen to our podcast. Seventy happiest podcast in the world. Why wouldn't you want to listen exactly. to it, Dad? Yes. Mum's stop cooking, so we don't need no noise. Oh no, no! If you if you suddenly uh, notice the reduction in volume, which I probably you probably haven't, um, that because we have, that's because we have a fabulous editor. Oh. The the construction construction work in the kitchens stopped. Um, so construction work. So uh, we have listeners from over the world, and I thought it'd be fun to um, tell you a little bit about. Uh, one of our, uh, one of the countries that our, one of our listeners is from, which is. Banner two two two. We've just lost our Banutu listener. Um, Banutu is Banatu. a Pacific island country located in the South Pacific o- 
ocean. It's an archipelago. Is there any, any more words that I can pronounce in this? Which is of volcanic origin and is uh, about a thousand miles east of northern Australia. Is the whole world not of volcanic origin? Very good point. Maybe back in the day when the dinosaurs roamed around, it was of volcanic origin, which... Yeah, but they're really, all dead now. Which is a really convoluted <laughs> link to this week's... Are you ready for this week's question of the podcast? Don't get too excited. This week's question of the podcast, which Call you Sophie beans. asked me whether, as a new guest host, she could do. So, Sophie, what's our question of the podcast? What's your favourite type of dinosaur? What's your favourite type if, of dinosaur? If you know any dinosaurs. <laughs> So you like dinosaurs quite a lot, so I love you? dinosaurs. I have a big box of them. Okay, and um, what real ones? No, not real ones. Would you, yeah, would like, you... the, like the like the animals in Spy Kids, and the guy lets them all out of the zoo, well, and they've all got mutated heads. I, I tell you what, I'm thinking. I'm thinking like, uh, would you go to a real life Jurassic Park? No. I'd love to. No. no. Dinosaurs will rip down the cages, though. Yeah, I know, but hopefully, once they have it organised, we'll be safe. What's your favourite dinosaur? Can't ask that. There's too many good dinosaurs. Yeah. Uh, I like Diplodocus. I like Brachiosaurus. I, I like three. T-Rex. Spinosaurus. Spinosaurus. It's it's this dinosaur with on his back. There's. I don't think they're called Spinosauruses. There is a dinosaur called Spinosaurus. There's a dinosaur called Spinosaurus. I don't know what it's called. Have you heard the? Uh, have you heard the about that dinosaur that hides all the time? Do you think he saw us? Oh, you're telling the joke wrong. Well, I've got you do telling it. You do it. The joke wrong. It's what do you call a blind dinosaur? Do you think he saw us? That makes no sense. Do you I think, think my... he saw us? Um. All right. All right. Fair enough. Um. Like my favourite two dinosaurs are T Rex and uh Spinosaurus. No. I got them whatsoever. I mean you could go I'll for... just show you two and you can yeah, but this is a podcast so if you know you can't show people. What's the one with three horns? Isn't that like not a real dinosaur? Wasn't there this yeah. thing that came out a little while ago that said that Triceratops is just didn't exist, it was just they found dinosaur bones. No! Don't shatter my dreams. That's a triceratops. No, that's a tricep. But, but, but that triceratops is gold, red and green and painted for Christmas. I doubt if triceratops when they were around. If they were around, now you've broken that news to me, Charlotte. They, they might not have existed. Roamed around there the world dressed in dressed in gold glitter. I mean, yeah, but the, no, there was this I thing that, that some scientists said that um, triceratops weren't actually three horned and they didn't actually exist because they, they just, just got the bones confused. They just got the bones mixed up. Yeah, could could have, could have happened. So um, we'd like to know what your favourite dinosaur is, listeners, um, and which I think, by the way, so is an amazing question of the podcast. So I vibe on that. And how want to know if you like triceratopses? And if you don't like triceratops, this golden red dinosaur. Isn't leave it? Terry alone. Yeah, Terry. Is it Terry? Why is it called Terry? Triceratops and Terry. Okay. I would just call him Tricy. 
Tracy. 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 Hello, Tracy. Um, right. Your name is Terry, not Tracy. <laughs> um, so, how can people get in touch with us and find out how to uh, uh, engage with the show? I don't know yet. We have this magic thing called the internet. You know, it's connected through the whole house. It's and Twitter. It's stronger downstairs than it is upstairs, to be brutally honest. Anyway, um, so we have Twitter and we're at Ola Kindness, H-O-L-A kindness on and google. then on google yeah if you just google us we'll pop up uh the kindness project we should pop up first i hope i think i wish if we if you go on facebook you can, there's this magical thing called the search bar i don't know if you've tried it i personally think it's the a wonderful eventual the problem is if it's one of our north korean listeners they might not have google might they <sighs> what's the north korean that- version of google <laughs> just Bozo. a blank screen just nothing <laughs> oh Your local search engine, or your if se- your North Korean search engine, you, you never know, it might be South Korean, they might be from South Korea, they might be, they you, might be. it's probably your from Banu, South Korea. I suddenly things? have the urge to sing. Does anyone else suddenly have the urge to what sing? What are you sing about? Uh, uh, the, the, the song from Moana. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> Not that one. Um, just look at the coconuts. <laughs> <laughs> are, you, are you implying that Belitanese people like coconuts? Is that what you're no, to say? I was thinking where you are, where you. But that was the only bit of the song I can remember at the time, and my elbows are itching. Anyway, wherever you're from, listeners, please do get in touch with us um, using Twitter, <laughs> Facebook, Guam. Google, Guamgle, or any of those platforms, and we'd like to know what is your favourite dinosaur. Um, uh, so yeah, so please do get in touch and let's crack on with the show. So this week we have got uh, an amazing, amazing um, interview. Interview with drumroll. Amazing oh. interview is with a lady called Vaz. Now Vaz runs Woo. a charity. Now we we went for a Charlotte and I, not Sophie, went for a curry, uh, and we it like was curry. a curry where we had to donate a little bit to a charity to get fed. And this charity was Vaz's charity, and it's called Down. Fat Paddy, which stands for Lentils, Rice and Water. Now, what that uh, what that um, charity does is support some of the most vulnerable people up in Nepal. Um, so it does loads of amazing work with... Um, the Nepalesian uh, the, people. With, with people in Nepal. And uh, Vaz has been doing it for absolutely years, providing meals and providing support to uh, loads and loads and loads of people. And it's really important, the work she does. So shall we listen to the first part of the interview? Yes. Yes. Thank you, Jazz, so much for coming in. I, I really appreciate it. Um, now, we met because we got to taste some amazing food that um, you had. Um, do you run a lot of those lunches, those cherry lunches? We, we, run, we have one lunch every quarter. Okay. And we time it so that it coincides with payday. <laughs> 
it's not the that's not the worst idea in the world, is it? Actually, no, but everyone loves the food. So yeah. if we coincide it with payday, then everyone is happy to give over their five pound notes and get a really good. Well, sandwich. listen, I love the food, and normally I like hot food, mm -hmm. but the red chili that was just too much. I mean, did Charlotte, did you? Did you? Did you, you oh, honestly, I, I thought, no, I'm going to try a little bit, and it just blew blew my mind, literally. Yeah. Well, that's why we put a health warning. <laughs> <laughs> is it for you? Do you like yeah, that? I don't like. I can't go with it. I'm afraid. I'm, I don't have that constitution. Okay. So. Okay. Fair enough. And where was that food from? What part of the world was that uh, food from? That food was from northwest India. Okay. It was from the the region of Gujarat. Okay. And it was prepared by my mother's and my sisters. Okay. So it's always homemade. It's all made from scratch, and uh, it's all made fresh for the events. Okay. And just help me understand. You started the. Uh, and we'll find out um, a bit about Dal Batpan in, in, in a minute. Um, but you started it, and now it's a family affair. Everybody gets involved, do they? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the, the thinking essentially is, is that we, we, we ask people to support the project, the programme, but one really lovely way of getting people to support it is to actually feed them. Yeah. Because when they pay their money, yeah. they're helping to feed other people. I love it. Um, yeah. So they're giving something, but they're also getting something. Yeah. It's also very nourishing yeah. and wholesome. Amazing, love it. And feeding people is never a bad move, is it? Let's be honest, it's quite a, quite a good thing to do. Absolutely not. Yeah. And, and we, we, we kind of learned very early on that um, hunger is a very primal thing. And for, to be hungry in this day and age just doesn't seem right. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. There is so much food everywhere. Well, particularly when there's an abundance in Western countries, Absolutely. you know, it seems a bit, it seems a bit mad that there's parts of the world that, that, that where people can go hungry. So, tell me a little bit about you. Uh, me, I'm a, I'm a psychologist by training. Okay. I've worked in the community and voluntary sector for about thirty odd years, maybe more. Um, I worked in the, the health and the mental health sectors. What made you get into psychology originally? Um, I actually started working with young people with special needs and people who were recovering from brain injury. Okay. When I was a, a young girl, I was volunteering. Right. And um, the changes and the and, and the, the differences in people um, fascinated me. The way that people were, the way that people behaved, yeah. the changes in behaviour after trauma. And so I thought, actually, I want to get into finding out about psychology okay. and the human condition. Um, mental health conditions, but also how health relates to mental health. Physical health, you mean? Absolutely. Yeah, okay. Done quite a lot of work on non-communicable diseases. Okay. Obesity, coronary yeah. heart disease, diabetes, yeah. um, and working very much at a grassroots community level. Okay. Uh, with projects that are very much uh, based in areas normally of, of, of multiple deprivation of poverty. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of what I do. Yeah, amazing, amazing. So, so how long how long have you been in that career now? Thirty years. Did you uh, say? Coming on for about thirty. Okay. Well, I didn't want to age you too much, so that's why I said, like, if it was less, tell me, Baz, because I. Um, and do you still enjoy it? I love it. Okay. I absolutely. Love tell it. me, tell me, a, tell me a story that you, where you've added value through the work you do in terms of in terms of the. The, the work you do in communities? In, in terms of the work I do here or in terms here. of Singapore? Yeah. Here. Um, actually seeing changes in behaviour and changes in hope. Okay. I think hope is such an important thing yeah. when it comes to mental health. 
Um, and I think that when people feel supported, when people um, are challenged in terms of isolation and they feel there is a community or there are colleagues or friends or mm. companions around them, I think that sense of hope can be magical in terms yeah. of getting people to embrace change, grow, yeah. explore opportunities for work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, things become possible yeah. in but without that, you've got no positivity about the future, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I think the pressures when it comes to, to debt, to maybe employment or worklessness, when it comes to family breakdowns, or when it comes to childhood traumas, or, yeah. you know, neglects, hard times, ups yeah. and downs, you know, life can be challenging, it can be tough. Okay. So yeah. I think, you know, when there's a fabric of people around you, they, they provide a comfort blanket people to talk to and when you feel that there's someone to share with yes things can be possible in a really positive way but what do you do when people when when sometimes people feel that they haven't got that network we, we work very much with community organizations okay. so community centers faith-based groups voluntary organizations yeah. um, we work very much with organizations that are already embedded within the communities to try and actually open up messages around health, mental health, yeah. Yeah. so black minority ethnic groups, gay lesbian communities, yeah. disability communities, yeah. um, people who are living with long term chronic illnesses. We, we tap into organisations that are already working on it. With, with those people. We work with yeah. people. It's the, yeah. it's the only way to go. Yeah, yeah, There's yeah. no such thing as parachuting in a solution no. for communities. It's, a, it's about making use of the networks that are there already, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And actually growing something that's organic and developing yeah. the ownership for the community itself. Yeah. And then you get a better buy-in. Yeah. You get more support. What's the biggest preconception uh, that's false about people with mental health issues? I think mental health issues come laden with stigma and taboo. Yeah. And I think a lot of that is based on ignorance. Yeah. Yeah, we yeah. have a lot of language and words that we use to define ill mental health. Um, we have very few positive words to describe yeah. mental health. Yeah, yeah. Language informs our thinking. Thinking informs our behaviour. Yeah. Yeah. Our behaviour then becomes negative. We don't have positive language yeah. to describe these things. So yeah. I think stigma and taboo are the worst things really, and, 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 and a lack of understanding. Do you think that's changing in recent times though? Because I, I certainly think from a from a generational perspective, but also from a just a awareness perspective, it seems mental health there's more conversations to go on it on about mental health and positive mental health now than happened 20, 30 years ago? Absolutely. What do you think? I think there absolutely are more conversations and there's an increasing increase in awareness of mental health issues. But the difficulties arise when the the, the support mechanisms within the structures that are out there um, are simply not geared up at the moment. The pressures within the NHS, the pressures within mental health services, oftentimes mean that the people, support's not there when people want it. Yeah. So, you know, where, where parents often come forward and say that they're concerned about their child's access to, you know, the dark web, self-harming, eating yeah, yeah. disorders. And oftentimes talking therapies have very long waiting lists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So to actually get the support that people need. Yeah. Um, I think that looking at mental health and maintaining good mental health, looking at prevention. Yeah. 
before we yeah. have to begin to think about a cure would be so helpful to have conversations about switching off mobile phones. Yeah. You know, it's okay to switch off from social networks. Yeah. And nothing in life is perfect. Yeah. Striving to be perfect with the messages that are out there puts so much pressure on people. Yeah. Um, yeah, perfection's a fallacy, isn't absolutely. it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And there are up days and there are down days, yeah. and that's life. Yeah, yeah. Not everyone has a fantastic life yeah. every day. Yeah, yeah. It is portrayed on, on, on the net. Yeah, no, it's true. Everyone looks like a million bucks. Yeah. It's, it's unrealistic expectations. What, what do you think on that, Charlotte? Do you think that there's a. Because you, you love a bit of Instagram, don't you? Do you think there's, well, a, there's a perception of perfection on the, on the internet sometimes? Yeah, um, so I. Recently, I had to do a speech about the career I wanted to do, and I talked about the whole negative view on media, and I talked about um, a telephobia, which is like the fear of never being good enough and being imperfect. Yeah. And I think that does stem a lot from media. Like on stuff like Instagram, I try and avoid updates from the real world, and I stick to stuff like comics and artists. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like positive little stories on there. Yeah. That I can just sit and read. But the real world isn't real on there, is it? It's it's what no, people it's want to portray. Yeah. Amplified into something that's done better yeah. or a million times worse. Is that that speech that made me cry because you did it? Charlotte had to do a, an English language speech and um, she was really nervous. So the day before, um, I said, look, you can, um, if you want to practice it, you can, we'll do it together. So, uh, so she did, and I, 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 I was in absolute floods of tears um, because it was so good. Um, and then um, you got distinction for it, didn't you? Which is all good. That's, that's my proud, that's my proud dad moment. However, this interview is not about me. It's about or, or Charlotte. It's about you, Vance. Um, so tell me about the charity and the work you do in the bowl. Well, we call ourselves a direct action group. Okay. So, and we don't call ourselves a charity. Why? Why is that? Why um, do you make that distinction? Because we're we're actually a group of volunteers. Yeah. And yeah. we don't get paid, and there are no overheads. So, you know, 100% of the funds that we, we raise um, go to the people on the ground. Yeah, So yeah. we all support ourselves. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, so every time I, I need to go to Nepal to, to progress the work that we're doing, um, I have to find the funds for the flights, the permits, yeah. the visas. Yeah, you know? and that's on you. That, that mon- the money you raise doesn't exactly. go towards that. So when we, when we say to people, you know, we, 100% of what you give us, whether it's your pocket money or whether it's your hairdressing tips, yeah, yeah. Uh, we absolutely mean it. 100% okay. of what they give us goes to the people on the ground. Amazing, amazing. And actually, I think there's a, there's a perception when people give that... Um, uh, especially with larger charities, not so much with the grassroots ones, where a lot of the money gets lost in admin. But for your for your organisation, that's never going to happen, is it? Because it all goes towards. Well, we don't have a just giving page because they charge commission. We yeah. don't have a website. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so you keep your costs super low. Absolutely. Yeah. We have to pay for everything we do um, out, out of pocket. So we keep it very streamlined. Yeah. Very efficient, and we find ways of making a little bit of money go a very long. How did you get involved with Nepal? Because it seems like... Uh... Um, I, I was climbing in 1997. I was on a climbing expedition okay. in the Himalaya. Okay. And I was going to climb a mirror peak 
um, which is about 22, just under 22,000 feet okay. um, above sea level. And I was going to spend about three, three and a half thousand pounds. And that was a lot of money yeah. back then. Still is. Yeah. Um, and that was going to be for my equipment and the expedition and, and everything else. And my father said to me, Baz, are you going to be spending all this money on yourself? What about everybody else? Yeah. I thought, mm, what, do you, what do you mean? Dad said, well, it's a bit self-indulgent, don't you think? <laughs> Spending all this money on yourself. Yeah. So, um, Dad and I, we, we brewed up an idea that basically was the commitment that we both made to this. I would go and climb this mountain on one condition, on the condition that we collectively were to raise £3,500 for, uh, for uh, the benefit of others. Okay. And so we did. We duly did. Now I really like that idea. That that so, so you spent the three thousand five hundred, but out of pocket. But the ambition was to match that effectively. Absolutely. Okay, cool. And so the funds that we raised went to uh, Africa and to India. Okay. And they went towards tackling trachoma, which is the incurable yeah. that caused blindness. Yes, yeah. which can be quite easily cured, can't it, with Western techniques? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's not an expensive intervention, yeah. but the, the condition itself is so painful to go blind in that way. It's horrific. Yeah. Um, and it also went towards um, breaking the cycle of the, the, the flies that lay the eggs in the water, which then the larvae burrow into okay. the water. And it went towards um, cataract operations so that grandparents could be relieved from you know, taking children out of school for their care. Yep. So grandparents could actually have sight, their children could then go to school yes. and, and give over the role of yeah. caring for the grandparents who were worldwide. Yeah. So essentially that's that's where the three and a half thousand pounds went. And it goes back to that, I, th I suppose it goes back to you work in the UK, doesn't it? That intervention of improving health to improve lifestyle and Absolutely. opportunity, that, yes. that's all interlinked, isn't it? Totally, it's all connected. Gotcha, gotcha. So it started off with um, India, and uh, so where else did you say? India and Africa. Mm -hmm. How did it move to Nepal specifically? After the climbing expedition, yeah. I got to know quite a lot of the Sherpa community. I spent all my time in the Sherpas, you see. Mm. I wasn't that keen on the expedition. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was the only girl on the expedition. Okay. Um, was it a bit macho? Because well, I, I'd imagine yeah, those climbing well, things were a bit. The expedition went from the UK, and I was assured that there were other ladies on the expedition. And nobody was there. And then on the plane, on the way to Nepal, I was told that I was the only lady right. on the expedition. So I actually found myself spending a lot more time with the, the porters and the Sherpas, yeah. you know, learning about how they live, how the seasons work for them, what opportunities they have, how they migrate through the year, and, and also the things that hold them back in terms of you know the issues affecting their families around health, access mm. to health medication. Um, and so we we started very early on actually working on um, solar panels yeah. on, on some of the, the homes so yeah. that people could actually use solar panels to heat water, yeah. um, reducing the impact on the ground through chopping wood and then actually eroding the, the surface soil for planting crops. So help me understand what a Sherpa is, okay? Because I think I know, but I've got a feeling that my understanding of yeah. what Sherpa is is probably different. So the Sherpa um, is a part of the Sherpa community, yeah. um, originally from Tibet, okay. and, and they form part of a community that's very much um, based in, in the high Himalayas.
Himalaya yeah. with very Tibetan Buddhist orientation. Principles, yeah. And um, they're actually very much involved in having whole lives out there, working out there, and being really involved in the whole climbing, trekking industry that's yeah. taken off. Yeah, because that's that. That was my understanding of, of Aisha, for somebody mm. who supports an expedition to do that. But yeah. it's bigger than that, it's isn't it? It's more of a community. It's a whole culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, faith based. There's a whole yeah. lifestyle. There's dress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's celebrations. There's songs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, high days, holidays. Absolutely, there's everything that is essentially a community. How how big is the Sherpa community? It's it's. it's I couldn't give you the numbers, okay. I'm afraid. Um, okay. I don't know the numbers. Okay. But I do know that the, the, almost everyone that we work with up in the mountains is, is off the Sherpa community. Okay. And how and what what's the unique challenges they face as a community? As a community up in the mountains? Yes. Um, I think access to resources. Where, okay. there, where there are no roads, everything has to be carried. Yeah. So, you know, if it's roof slates, or kitchen taps, yeah, yeah, yeah. or you know stones. Yeah, it's, it's not driving it down the road to deliver it, is it? Yeah, it gotcha. Be carried. So rocks are taken in the mountains, and they are then cut into large stones or bricks. They are chiselled by hand and okay. transported in the mountains on foot. Okay. okay. So essentially, everything is carried on your back. Sure. The only wheels you see once you land up in Lukla will be prayer wheels. Yeah. Yeah. You, know, you yeah. won't see any bicycles, trucks, yeah. Yeah. wheelbarrows. Well, I suppose in the higher Himalayas it's a bit pointless, isn't it? Because it's not as there's no there's no sort of flat ish surfaces to, to get up there. Flat. Yeah, I gotcha. mean, this is what we call the Himalayan flat. Yeah. And and um, help me understand. So so there's a big resource issue and transporting things out there. Um, is there a poverty challenge in 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 that community, or does it? Well, the, the community up um, towards Lukla and the Kumbu is actually really it, compared to the rest of Nepal. One has to remember that Nepal is one of the poorest nations in the world. Um, it has nothing by way of GDP, it has yeah, yeah. nothing to export in terms of actually making any money. Yeah. Um, and so tourism is what makes the money. And the Kumbu, because of it's on the way into Everest Base Camp, is actually, it's got quite a lot of thrift yeah. in terms of tourism. So, you know, compared to other parts of Nepal, the Kumbu is, is not necessarily poor, although it is part yeah. of the poorest country, one of the poorest countries in the world. What we do have are, are pockets and areas of isolation off the main drag. Understand. And so we get areas of poverty where people with disabilities, people who are elderly, yeah. maybe who don't have providers or care providers. Yeah. Because I imagine in, in 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 the country there's not a state provision, is there? Absolutely there's no, not. I mean, okay. There is no such thing as an NHS. Yeah. There is no such thing as medical. Is there any welfare state? Yeah. No welfare state. Like Okay. So essentially you're on your own if you don't have any any sons or daughters to provide for you. Mm. And and that's where our, our work comes in. Okay. Yeah. Tell tell me tell me a story about the work you do and, and how it's helped one particular individual. Oh, one individual? Yeah. Oh there's a challenge now. I've got so many stories. What's your favourite? Okay. Oh, mm. um, okay, what's my favourite? 
I'll give you a story about the egg lady. Okay. We call her the egg lady now. She's a very, very old lady. Okay. She doesn't know how old she is. Well, she's, a, she's already a favourite because <laughs> she's got egg in her name. Well, uh, she basically, she, um, we, we, we were introduced to where she was. Now, she lives alone in a small, in a tiny little room. Okay. And in that room is her sleeping, is her cooking, is her living space. So we're looking about maybe nine, ten foot by ten foot. Okay. Yeah, everything happens in this space. So it's very dusty, it's very smoky, the fires, we're yeah. cooking. Now, when we first met the egg lady, she's got very few teeth. And we said to her, look, we'd like to shop for you. We'd like to make sure you've got enough resources to have enough food for one year. And we said, is there anything that you particularly like from the shop? And she said, I would like some eggs. And, and, I, and I said to her, well, have you, have you had eggs before? And she said, no, I've never had eggs before. So at which point I said, well, do you then know how uh, to you, prepare yeah. eggs? Right, okay, okay. Because you've never tasted them. She said, well, when I was younger, I used to go to the marketplace and I used to watch people. And they used to crack the egg and then they used to peel it and they used to eat it. Whoop. They used to eat it. Right. So I said, okay, so how would you prepare it? And she told me. Put it in water and you boil it, boil it. And then you crack it and then you eat it. And she's making all the, you know, all yeah. the movements for yeah, it. She's yeah, very yeah. animated. Um, no teeth. I mean, a very old lady. Now, Absolutely. Now, Charlotte, is it just me? But I'm <laughs> loving the egg lady already. So somebody, <laughs> somebody gets that excited about eggs. How are you feeling about the egg lady? Positive. Eh? <laughs> so we, we, we took her to we took her to the shop. Okay. And she actually wouldn't go into the shop because but she was scared. You know what? I'm, and again, this is like just a mental shift that I'm struggling to make. How did how did she even know if she's going to like the taste of eggs or not? I, I can't imagine how many years she's watched other people eating eggs, yeah. thinking I'd like one of those. Yeah, yeah, but something we take absolutely for granted. Yeah. So we took her to the shops, and uh, we took her to a shop, one shop, and she wouldn't go in. Okay. She was scared. Because I think in the past, what's happened is she's tried to go into the and shop. And they've been away. She's been shooed away. So she was really, really nervous about going into the shop. So that took a bit of, bit of time. Okay. But, but then we actually packed her basket full of things. And she carried her basket with a strap over her forehead. Yeah. And the smile on her face as she's Amazing. carrying all these things home. Yeah. And we got her 24 eggs oh. in a crate. You know, uh, it was wonderful just to see her face. Food. Um, Did she like eggs though? That's she loved thing. it. Yeah. <laughs> she came to the what, What's Lady's actual name? Nima. 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 Okay. Um, I love that story. So that was the first part of the interview. What did you think? It was good. Yeah, Betsy's a nice lady, isn't she? Yeah. I wasn't in the interview. I was. I think I was. I remember being there. So, now, as you're our guest um, uh, presenter on this one, do you want to do the Tis the End bit? Oh, no. Tis the End! Bit shy. Um, and... The end is never the end, because the end is always last week's question of the podcast, podcast this week. And last week's question was, what's your next big challenge? So, Sophie, what's your next big challenge? Get up in the morning. Uh, that's Charlotte's next big challenge. Oh. I get up every morning before you, so I don't know why you're saying that. Right, we don't then. stand up in the morning. 
in the morning, you just sit on your phone. Oh, right, you two, quibbling. I uh, leave the house before uh, you do. Uh, um, there are plenty of people who have got next big challenges. Uh, the next big challenge for Hayley Ball, friend of the show, is waiting to hear back from the latest test towards the next promotion. So hopefully the next big challenge will be service control. I think she works on the tube. Ooh. Um, Can Tam- I read this one, please? Yeah, Tamsin Kane said... That is a good question, getting my son to study for for his G- GCSE. <laughs> GCSEs before April. Oh, God. Give another one a go. John Cook said... Friend of the show. Getting a reply from TFI on the ridiculous accessibility situation at Westminster Station. Firstly, good reading. Give me a boo. And good luck with that, John. Um, Mike Christie said, said, my next big challenge is getting my divorce finalised. So sometimes nice. challenges are like you've got to overcome adversity, haven't you? Sometimes mm. that's what the challenge is. And moving on with my life. Not much then. Caroline Thompson said, just planning a wedding. Oh, yeah. Nice. Um, and Andrew, a divorce Andrew, and a wedding in one answer? Oh. Andrew Berwick said, getting my daughter her EHCP, which I think is she needs a bit of support with her education. Tracy Kinchella said, Organising our fly drive holiday to America as we like to visit about five states and this time we want to go and see Roswell. Roswell is where the aliens are meant to be. Now, I don't believe in Area 51? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, um, that raid was ridiculous. Stuart, Stuart Winder is ambitious in his longer-term goals. Tomorrow morning's alarm is his... <laughs> uh, Alison Hagen said, I'm going to run up the cheese grater. Not and that, just that's the building in London, not an actual cheese grater. Uh, um, have you seen that meme that's going around... Um, the internet at the minute where this guy has sent a photo of the inside of a cheese grater to his mate and went oh have you seen the interior of this amazing new club and his mate tips back and went oh that looks cool where is it and he went Shoreditch and then he's gone shall we go on Saturday and all it was was a photo of the inside of his cheese grater <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to try that where's that cheese grater <laughs> it's, in the, it's in the drawer have you seen the have you seen the, the meme going around of people just sending song lyrics and waiting for their friends to reply before they send the next line? Oh, I, like, I like that one. Um, uh, uh, Al's next, Al McCann's not, next not, challenge is... Not thinking I've got there. There's lots to still be done. There's always lots to still be done. There's, well, as soon as the problem, that's the problem with challenges, isn't it? As soon as you do one, what happens? You get another one. Yeah, there's always the next one. Uh, Amanda C. Smead said, my next challenge is for 2020 to be better than 2019. Uh, Sharon Adkins said, interesting... Interesting question. I've been so fixated on getting through each day. I haven't set myself an a- any actual challenge for a long time. Food, food for thought today. Food for thought means? No. It means that question is helping her think about what she wants to do as a challenge. Um, Louise McCann said, I've got a half marathon this Sunday, Chris. You are my inspiration. Because I did a half marathon a couple of weeks ago, didn't I? Um, Serena Dutton said, Learning to 
drive. Uh, and Brian Hill says, next is my PhD. I want to get one of those before um, I die. Roberta White said, I'm going to be getting my new guide dog soon. And Mike Fitzgerald says, try and... to work out why I see few of these posts I've not seen any in ages. I know, we haven't been asking that many questions on the podcast, have we? So, um, so yeah, we need to that. And then Francis Barrett said, growing my business to its full potential by subcontracting work out to my fellow social media managers. So a bit of business, bit of life, bit of people still trying to work out what they want to do. Bit of marriage, bit, bit of divorce. Of marriage, bit of divorce, bit of education. Um, GCSEs, woo! And, and driving so all good stuff there and good luck with whatever life may throw you got this guys you oh got... I can tell something yeah. um, we're going on Friday we're going to Nanny Bob's house we are off to Scotland Scotland this is what I said oh no I don't want to alright done um, on that note see you next time bye bye, bye.